Well, hello to all my folks here, all my folks in the video cafe, all my folks watching online. Last week, we started this series, Jesus is King. So whether you were here, whether you weren't here, let me give you a little refresher on what we talked about. We started talking about Kanye West's spiritual journey, right? He released an album recently that was all 11 songs were on the Hot 100 of the most popular songs in the United States. Five different charts. He topped five different charts with this album. And a lot of people were talking about Kanye, and they were talking about him in a way that they don't usually talk about him. He crossed over to people that maybe had never heard of Kanye or knew who he was. And the reason for that, the album was called Jesus is King. And the album was a celebration and is a celebration of what Jesus has done for Kanye. See, he recently believed in Jesus and he calls himself a born-again Christian. And that's what this album is all about. And now, I understand that Kanye can be a polarizing figure, right? Even myself and Kanye, we don't see eye to eye on everything. And he's a guy with an infamous past. But what's been really disappointing to me is how Christians have reacted to this news. Whether they're a high-profile leader or just a regular person on social media, I've seen so many people question, is he a real Christian? Is he legit? Is this actually happening or this is a marketing ploy? And that's been disappointing because that's not our job. So our job isn't to decide whether people are real Christians or not. That's the job of Jesus the King. And let me tell you, he's a little bit better at it than you are. And that's not important, right? Because we're talking about this guy that's way out here, Kanye, with an infamous past. But that goes for the people in here, too. Because you might be here and you might feel like you have an infamous past. Right? You might not be world-renowned infamous, but you might be infamous at your work. You might be infamous with your friends. You might be infamous with the people from your hometown or your family. You might feel like that. Others of us here, we're here and we might have what we call an uneventful past. Now, you're not perfect, and you know that, but you look back, there's, there wasn't this big mountain you had to climb. There wasn't this big trauma to get over. There wasn't some big mental illness thing that you battled in your life. And you'll admit that you're messy, but your life so far has felt like maybe it's not as eventful as some of those with an infamous past. But I wanna say, that doesn't mean Jesus did any less for you than he's done for anyone else. This is a messy church because all people are messy. And we exist so that all people can believe and thrive in Jesus. And that includes people with an infamous past. No matter who you are, no matter where you come from, no matter what you feel like you've done, you're welcome here. You're welcome here at City Church and you always will be. Now some people... I say that every week and we say that every week and some people are like, hey man, we get it. We get it, we're welcome here, I get it. And we repeat it all the time. And I wanna say it's important because it's so easy, it's so easy for this to become a community where people with an infamous past don't feel welcome. They don't feel like they can fit in here. And so we repeat it all the time because the King Jesus is and the kingdom he came for are for people, all people, including people, including people with an infamous past. And that's something we work very hard. This is a safe place for everyone to explore who Jesus is. So it's easy to feel like we don't belong, right? Even if we have an infamous past, 
or if we have an uneventful past. Let me, let me tell you a story about how easy it is for people to feel like they don't belong. Back when I was in my 20s, I'm not in my 20s anymore, my wife and I took a trip to Vegas with some friends, and we were young enough that Vegas was fun and not exhausting. It wasn't, you know, like some people are like, hey, let's go out at 10 o'clock, and it's like, I get in bed at 10 o'clock stay in my PJs, right? But this was fun. We were going out in Vegas. We were having a really good time. And we wanted to go out that evening. And I remembered that I had a friend who knew somebody. And this person was a, was a significant person, and I didn't realize it, but they knew the doorman of the hottest, coolest, hippest nightclub in Vegas. And so I talked to my friend, and she's like, yeah, we'll get you on the list. And so, you know, we get dressed up, looking the best that we can possibly look, looking awesome. And we walk, and I kid you not, and I'm known to exaggerate a little bit, but there was a line like a mile and a half long of people waiting to get into this nightclub. And they were really cool people. Not like people who were pretending to be cool. I mean like really cool people. Super hip, awesome looking people waiting to get in. And so I was a little concerned, like, oh no, if they're not letting those people in, probably not gonna let us in. But we walked to the front, we talk to the doorman, and we say, this is who I am. And he says, oh, you're on the list. And he opens up the velvet rope, and we walk in to the coolest nightclub in Las Vegas. I've never felt more cool in my entire life. I was like, see you later, y'all. Like, the folks in the line. It was pretty clear that once we got in there, though, that maybe this wasn't a place where I belong, but... More than that, I thought of the people outside looking in. I thought of the people that were there waiting to get in, again, from the outside looking in. People that feel like they didn't belong. And so it's easy for us to feel like that no matter what kind of past that we may have, whether it's uneventful or whether it's infamous. Well, we're doing this series, Jesus is King, to talk about no matter what kind of past you had, he came for all people. And so we're gonna talk about the first Christmas when Jesus was born and came to this earth and the people that were here for that birth and, and what happened. So last week we talked a little about Mary, his mother, right? and Mary was facing a difficult situation. She had to make room for Jesus, the king, to carry him, to birth him, because this was not her plan. Her life was not going according to her plan, or Joseph, her husband's life either. They had to make room, and it would only continue to be unplanned. So they had to travel. They had to go to Joseph's family's home, which was called Bethlehem, and they traveled and they were going to stay there, but there was no room for them there. And at that point, Mary, who was very pregnant, had to give birth to Jesus. And they weren't in the normal guest room. They were in a place with animals. They were in a place where they had to lie Jesus after he was born in a manger because there was no room for them where they were. Now, this obviously was not part of Mary's plan. This was not what she was thinking would happen about the birth of Jesus. And it's probably not what many people would have thought about the birth of a king. When you think of a king being born, you think of a king being born in a palace. At the very least, you would think a Jesus would be born where most children were born in the first century, in the family home. But instead, no, he's born among the dirty, smelly animals and a manger, which is just a fancy word for a food trough. That's where Jesus was born. It's lowly, humble circumstances. And it might have felt 
And it might seem like Jesus was not on the list. Just like the people at the nightclub, not on the list. And we've all felt like we're not on the list from time to time. We might have all felt like we not fit in somewhere. But this isn't a sign, and this is an important part of Jesus' story. This isn't a sign that Jesus was not blessed by God or that God was angry with Jesus. No, rather, Jesus' lowly birth, Jesus struggling, is a sign that Jesus came to be a different kind of king. Not the kind of king that ruled distant from his people, but a kind of king who was with us, God with us. He wasn't just God with us, he was God for us. And I think part of this story is important because if you're struggling, you're just like Jesus. Jesus struggled too. And so if you're experiencing difficulties in life, it doesn't mean that God is mad at you. It doesn't mean that you're not blessed. It doesn't mean that God doesn't care about you. No, no, no. This story shows us that there is a king who cares. There is a king who can identify you with you who's been there before who's been in that situation, who's struggled and who's had difficulties. And so Jesus isn't judging you. God isn't judging you. He experienced exactly what you're experiencing and he cares for you and he's with you as you go through this. But this wasn't the only twist where Jesus was born wasn't the only twist in this story. Who gets invited to meet the king is very interesting. Let's look at the story. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Now, this might seem odd that God invited shepherds. Okay, who are my parents here? Parents? Okay, I thought you guys would be a little more enthusiastic about that. Parents? Right? Okay, yeah, hey, you have kids, but they're not here now, so you're even more excited. Okay. No matter how your child came into your life, whether it was an adoption or whether it was by birth, you had a plan for how you were going to tell people about this child. More specifically, you know who you were going to tell first about them, who you're gonna call, who you're gonna text. In fact, it's so important, especially in the social media age, you may have even had a plan of how you're gonna communicate this child arriving. Maybe you even made a list. Regardless of who this person is to you, there was somebody that you cared about. The person that you were gonna contact first was someone that you loved, was someone that you cared about, is someone that you wanted both in your life and in the child's life. That person is important, whoever it is. It's somebody who's on the list. So it's significant that the first people that God tells about the birth of Jesus, his son, the Messiah, the Savior, this incredible, mind-blowing, amazing news are shepherds. Shepherds. God put them on the list. Now that may seem, not seem odd to us. It may not seem odd because we don't understand the context of who shepherds were. And the people in the first century would have had a very different reaction to shepherds being the first people invited. So shepherds were, were social outcasts. They were men with infamous past. They were considered to be untrustworthy and even dishonest. 
So much so that their testimony wasn't even allowed in court. It was inadmissible. People didn't believe what they had to say. They were also considered ceremonially unclean, which means they weren't welcomed into the religious rituals of the day. They couldn't be a part of it. They weren't included. They didn't belong. These guys were not on the list. That's who the shepherds were, such low status. But God chose to reveal this mind-blowing, space-time continuum-splitting, incredible news to these shepherds, these people who were not on the list. And that casts a vision for the kind of king Jesus is and the kind of kingdom he came to establish because these shepherds weren't just on the list. They were first on the list. They were at the top. God is sending a message about what his kingdom means and who his kingdom is for. So how did the shepherds respond to this? We continue. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby, who was lying in a manger. How did these shepherds respond? They rearranged their lives and made room for Jesus the King. They immediately went to find him. And we've heard this story, some of us have heard this story many times. And so it's easy to overlook this, it's easy to take it for granted. I mean, it's a little bit like when you watched Titanic, right? When you first watched it, you knew the boat was gonna sink, right? Spoiler alert, the boat sinks in Titanic but we take it for granted. It's a given that the shepherds go because that's what it says and that's what we know. But this was anything but a given. This is anything but something to take for granted because going would have required a great deal of sacrifice. This wasn't running to the store, running to H-E-B, running to La Quintero really quick and then coming back. This was a journey. They had to leave their job. They had to leave their source of income. They had to leave the sheep and their responsibility that they were responsible for. They had to go. And not to mention, they might have been leaving behind family. They might have been leaving behind a lot of things in their life. They would have had to do that to go on this journey. And I also think there was something else that might have kept them from going. Fear. Being an outcast, being someone who didn't belong, being someone who wasn't on the list was part of their mindset. It's something that they understood. So I imagine they might have been a little bit afraid of showing up and being rejected of showing up and wondering, is this gonna be like everything else in our lives? And showing up to see this thing and being turned away, being told again you're not on the list, being told you're an outcast, being told you don't belong. So they had to overcome that fear, but here's what they did. They did it, they did it, they went, and that means that they believed in Jesus. They believed they had faith. And in this case, faith is a trust. It's a trust that even though they couldn't be sure what was on the other side of their journey, they went because they believed. They went because they wanted to see Jesus, this king. And it's a king for all people. And because Jesus was a king for all people, it meant Jesus was a king for them. And that's really important for them. He didn't exclude them, he invited them. Didn't disqualify them. He put them on the list. 
So if Jesus is a savior for all, if this is good news for all, that means it's good news for these shepherds. And they were excited about it. Jesus is the king who changes everything. So how did Jesus change these shepherds? When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. The shepherds told everyone. It's kind of crazy that the first evangelists, the first people to tell people about Jesus are these shepherds, untrustworthy, outcasts, unclean, can't be involved in the religious system. They're the first people to tell people about Jesus. And the people, how did they respond to the shepherds? They were amazed. It means that the people believed what they had to say, even though it might sound a little crazy. But see, that's why Jesus is the king that changes everything. He made the untrustworthy trustworthy. He put the outcasts on the list, and people believed. They believed he was a king for all people. That's who Jesus the king is. But that's not all the shepherds did. It also says they were glorifying and praising God. They went back home to their lives, completely changed, glorifying and praising a God who put them on the list. They recognized who Jesus was, the king who changes everything, and they worshiped him for who he was. I like to imagine on this long journey, these guys going back and singing songs, whatever songs they might have known, worshiping this Jesus who changed everything. They were no longer outsiders. They were no longer outcasts. They were no longer on the outside looking in. Now they were on the list. This is the king that Jesus is. This is the kingdom he's come to establish, a kingdom where all people, including people with an infamous past, are on the list, a kingdom for all people. There's a moment later in Jesus's life that we get a chance to see because he grew up and he continued to establish this kingdom on the earth and teach about it. And he continued to invite people who weren't on the list like the shepherds to this kingdom. And in the Christian scriptures, we get a detail. We get to see this story of how he treated a woman with an infamous past. Jesus was in the height of his ministry. He was traveling all over the region. He was serving and helping people and performing all kinds of miracles. And while he was traveling, he was met by a Pharisee. Now this is just a type of religious leader in that day. On this Pharisee, he invited Jesus to come over to his home to eat a meal. Now this Pharisee didn't believe that Jesus was king, but there was some personal gain that inviting Jesus would do for him. Just think about it. He would be inviting the guy that was performing all these miracles, raising people from the dead, healing the sick as his guest at his home. Imagine the bragging rights he would have having Jesus over to his house as a guest. Even putting bragging rights aside, we know that he, he was thinking, well, at least Jesus will be entertaining for my guests there. Well, as they ate their meal, a woman came in. She practically rushed in, and she falls at the feet of Jesus and began to weep. 
It says that she wept so much that her tears drenched the feet of Jesus. And then she proceeds to grab a jar of perfume and pour this perfume all over his feet. She then begins to kiss his feet and wipe his feet with her hair. Now, in this day, they would do something called feet washing. They would wash their feet. It was customary for when you had a guest over, you would have water available so that way your guest could clean off the, the, the sand and the dirt that was all over their feet after traveling miles and, and traveling all day in their sandals. However, what this woman did was way out of the ordinary. For her, it wasn't just washing feet. For her, it wasn't just a customary ritual. For her, it was an act of worship. And we don't know much about this woman, but in scripture, she's described as a sinful woman, a woman with an infamous past. And everyone knew it. The Pharisees knew it, his guests knew it, everyone in that town knew it. And she wasn't the kind of person that would have been invited into any home, let alone the home of a religious leader. So when the Pharisee saw this, he said to himself, if only Jesus knew who was touching him, he would not let this happen. She was not on the list. The Pharisee was disgusted at just her presence there, but Jesus, the king, came to put all people on the list. Let's see how he responded. Then Jesus turned toward the woman and said to the Pharisee, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not pull, put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Jesus recognized that this woman brought more than herself in a jar of perfume, but she brought years and years of rejection and pain and hurt, and she brought her infamous past with her. But Jesus looked at the woman and he saw beyond all of that. And he saw the love she had for him. He forgave her and put her name on the list. This woman believed and trusted Jesus so much that she had to respond. She had to get to Jesus, this king, this good king. She had to push years and years of rejection and shame aside to say, I wanna take a chance on this king, and she did. She got to the king that would invite her in. And when she got there, she knew she wasn't in the presence of just an ordinary king, but she was in the presence of a good king. It wasn't because of what he had done, but it was because of who he was. 
She believed in the king that could change everything. And as she wept, her tears of desperation turned into immense gratitude and of a deep love. And before Jesus even said, your sins are forgiven, she worshiped him. Before Jesus said, your faith has saved you, she worshiped him. Before Jesus said, go in peace, she worshiped him. She worshiped him because possibly for the first time in her life, she was on the list. And when she was invited in, just like the shepherds, the only way she knew to respond was to worship this king. You see, for the shepherds and for her, it didn't matter the distance, it didn't matter the years of shame, rejection, the infamous past. They knew that when they were in the presence of a good king, they had to worship. Whether it was washing feet or singing praises, songs, because they knew what he could do in their life. The world may have rejected them, but Jesus the king invited them in. And it doesn't matter if you have an infamous past or an uneventful past. Jesus is the king for us all. We are all in need of this king. We are all in need of this savior. And my question to you is how will you respond? Today, I want us to respond like this woman. I want us to respond like these shepherds as they fell at the feet of the king. And this song is your opportunity to do that.
Yeah! Give it up for Jesus, the King, the King who changes everything. This is a church where everyone is on the list, all people. And it doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what you've done, not only are you welcome here, you are loved by God more than you can ever possibly understand. And this is always going to be a place where you are safe and your friends are safe because this is a church of messy people for messy people. See, the religious leaders were experts at putting people behind the red velvet rope, keeping them in line, waiting to come in, looking from the outside in for this experience, but that's not who we're going to be here. But it's not us who decides that. It's not just this team up here. It's not the people teaching. It's you. This is a safe community of grace because of you. This is a place where lives change, where almost 400 people have been baptized this year because of you. You make this a safe community of grace where all people are welcome, just like Jesus intended.